The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. And believe it or not, this is Dr. Merrill. I know I'm not sounding so great today. Actually, I think I need a caregiver, like <laughs> a caregiver with a hot toddy. But thank goodness we have Becky Fiola with us today. You know, there's a lot of information available and options of care. Um Becky Fiola became a caregiver for her husband when she was diagnosed with, when he was diagnosed, I'm sorry, with Huntington's disease. Um, And it changed her life. And Becky was strong and she did what she needed to do. And she turned a difficult, tragic situation into a way to help other people. Um, And so she wrote a book called The Elder Care Consultant, and she also founded an organization called The Assisted Living Advantage. Becky, welcome to Caught Between Generations. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So, Becky, in your book, you have a section entitled, It's Not Just About You. What are you referring to? Well, I think a lot of times when you are a caregiver, especially for a child or a spouse, your circle gets very small, your world, and you start to think primarily in terms of just me and my care recipient. And you start to lose connections and relationships with other people. So it's not just about you. You still have other family members, siblings, um, maybe parents. You have work relationships that you need to think about. You have friendships that you should try and not let die away because you're in this caregiving situation. So I talk about how you need to nurture those relationships as well. And I know, I know that a lot of people are probably saying, but I am so busy providing care. And I understand that. But you still have to have these connections to other people outside that immediate circle of you and your care recipient. So, Becky, I found an interesting part of your book had to do with um, relating to children because how old were your children when your husband was diagnosed with Huntington's? Actually, we did not have children because it's hereditary and it's a 50-50 chance. Okay. For some reason, the way you spoke about it so well in your book, I assumed that you had children. Um, No, no, I did. But I did a lot of relationship and I, or a lot of research and I talked to my clients who some of them, you know, many of them have children and we talked about things that they learned when it was over 
And that's how I came up with that section because I realized that, you know, children are very much affected in a caregiving situation. So can you share that with us? Because I think that's something that most people don't talk about a whole lot. I think children and grandchildren mm-hmm. are in the midst of it and they're impacted and we we tend just to forget about them because well, we're well, dealing I, with, with an adult who needs right. care. And I think a huge part of it is that we want to protect the children. We don't want to worry them. We don't want to put these very heavy issues on their shoulders. But the thing is, is that they know something's going on. They know, you know, grandpa or grandma or mom or dad are sick. And by protecting them too much, we might not be answering their questions. They may be grieving. They might be worried and not showing it to anyone, um, trying to be strong, maybe completely misunderstanding the situation. They might think things are worse than they really are. Um, so I think it's really important. First of all, you have to consider the age and what's appropriate, you know, what they're capable of understanding. But, you know, share as much as you can so that they aren't embellishing the situation or they aren't, um, you know, misinterpreting what's going on. Also, you know, I think children really do want to be involved and help if it's possible. And by allowing them to know what the truth is, and that maybe there's things they can do that could bring some quality time for them with the person who, who is ill. Um, it, it really builds character. It builds confidence for the children. It helps them to understand how the world really works. Um, you know, and it, and it also can prepare them. If this is a situation that somebody is going to die, it's less of a shock when it happens, and it prepares them to a degree on how to handle that. You know, I think when it's children, it's one situation. When it's grandchildren, I know very often grandparents who are going through chemo, for -hmm. instance, who have personality changes. The tendency is to keep the children, the grandchildren, away from that person and just suddenly not let them see them as often. Um, because they're going through those personality changes. What are your suggestions in that kind of situation? Well, I think, I think first of all, you need to sit down with them and talk about that, you know, Grandpa's receiving a medical treatment, and sometimes the medication can change, you know, it affects them. It, it makes them sick. It might affect, make them tired. It can affect their memory. And it's the medication, the treatment. It's not Grandpa. You know, they don't feel any differently about you than they did before. They love you dearly. But just remember, if Grandpa is overly tired or he's not feeling well, he might be crabby. Um, he might forget certain things. Um, and, you know, just prepare them for what's really happening and that it's not them. It's the illness. It's the treatment. I think that's the most important thing. I talk in my book about... Um, you know, you're always going to love the person, but you might not love the condition that they have. Because, right. so, you know, being sick is not pretty, you know. And, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you can do a little bit of talking about that, that, you know, this this is not 
this is being caused by the illness. It has nothing to do with how this person feels about you. It's got nothing to do with anything you've done wrong. This is just something that happens sometimes when a person is ill. And um, I think that in itself can really prepare them to deal with whatever might happen. The only caveat I would put on that, Becky, and I think it's a great response, is that to separate out for children that the medicine that grandpa is taking is a different medicine, for instance, than what they take. Wonderful. Yes, yeah. you're right. Absolutely. Sometimes, sometimes Absolutely. there's confusion. So the other group I think often gets left out of the conversation that you talk about in your book is friends. Mm-hmm. Because someone with dementia or someone who's had a stroke, friends get uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. Um, and then suddenly people feel themselves very isolated. Mm-hmm. So. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can, and, and you know what? I'm going to bring up a personal situation with us. When, when my late husband, Neil, was starting to get very symptomatic and it was very unpleasant sometimes to be around him, we started seeing lifelong friends, people he'd known since he was in, in junior high school, stop calling, stop asking how he's doing. We even had a couple of them say, I can't deal with you anymore. Just flat out tell him that. And, you know, when when he passed away, finally, they all, you know, came to my side. They came to his funeral, and we had some conversations, and it mostly centered around they just didn't know what to do. Um, you know, they knew he was sick, but when he acted out, they... They were uncomfortable, and they simply didn't know what to say or do, so they stopped coming around. So I have, you know, tried to coach my clients that when you are caring for someone that you love and you start to, you know, not reach out yourself as much or tell people what is going on and that everything is okay if they you know, don't understand it or aren't comfortable, they can ask questions, (laughs) you know, ask detailed questions. Just, you know, let's keep the lines of communication open. Don't just disappear. I'm happy to talk about whatever you would like to ask me. I will talk to you about it, but I want you in my life and please stay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, so in, in full disclosure, what usually happens on shows is authors will submit a series of questions that they want you to ask. And sometimes as hosts, we, we use some of those questions and sometimes we have other things we want to talk about. But Becky, you submitted a question I found very interesting mm-hmm. um, because your question was, do you think that most family members understand they have transitioned into the role of caregiver and how important is it to recognize this new role? And, th- and the reason that struck me is because when I initially read that, I thought to myself, I don't understand the question. I'm already, I was already a caregiver before I became a caregiver for my mother, for example, after her stroke, and a caregiver for my husband when his mobility, you know, um, problems increased. So explain to me what you meant by that, because I think most of us see ourselves as caregivers already. Well, I have actually had a different result from that. I... You know, predominantly, most of my 
clients that reach out to me are the baby boomer children, and they're dealing with parents in their 80s, you know, 90s, in that range. And when I start to talk about resources and bringing help in, and they're all, they tell me, well, no, I'm their daughter, I'm their son, I need to do this, I'm, you know, this is my family member, and I'm like, yes, but there are resources for caregivers out I'm not a caregiver. I'm I'm her daughter. <laughs> I have encountered that over and over. So I have talked in the book about the fact that you need to be able to identify as the caregiver so that you will be willing to reach out to resources that are there for caregivers. And um, it it kind of when when somebody gives themselves permission to say, Yes, I may be the daughter, but I'm also their full time caregiver. And there are resources there for me that I'm going to request. It can make a difference between how difficult this this situation is going to end up being for them. So, but I, I have I have found that over and over again that you know it's like no I'm I'm their wife it's my duty no I'm their daughter you know they gave birth to me I must take care of them. Yes, that that may be true, but you're still a caregiver, and. You know, you have a right to ask for as much help as you need. So, Okay, when we return, we're going to be talking to Becky about what kind of help and what kind of options are really available. Um, And we're going to ask her about her quote about expect the best, but prepare for the worst. We'll be right back. Your life, your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities in health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. How's your husband now that he can't quite take care of himself? Or how's your wife now that getting around isn't as easy as it used to be? You'd know if your spouse was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. A full day of customized activities and their home by dinner. And nursing care that's right there with them. How's your spouse? Just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Try it for free. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. 
at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. It's Dr. Merrill, and I know I still sound awful. I'm so sorry. But we're having a great conversation with Becky Fiola, who is the author of The Elder Care Consultant, Your Guide to Making the Best Choices Possible. So, Becky, I'd like to divide up the options that people have to the what we call in the you know, in our profession, home and community-based services versus residential services. So let's start out with the options that people have if family members are still staying at home. Right. Well, first of all, um, you know, if you're starting, if you're the primary caregiver and you're starting to find that you're um, maybe struggling with the types of care that it's exceeding what you're able to do yourself, you can bring in home health care agencies or home care agencies. Now, there's a difference. You know, there's, there's some that can provide just basic care such as um, helping shower and dress and feed meals to people, but then there's medical agencies, too, who are able to administer shots, um, care for wounds, so you really need to make sure that you do an evaluation of what you need and um, seek out the appropriate type of agency for yourself. And they can come in for as little as you know, maybe a few hours a week to 24-7 care. Um, it can get pricey, though. I tell people that often it's more the price than the level of care that dictates a change in what you're, how you're providing care. You can also use services such as um, hospice or, um, uh, excuse me, palliative care. I drew a, a blank there for a moment. Palliative care can come in and provide care. It's, it's a little bit like hospice care where they do some very intense um, caregiving, um, grief preparation, medication management. But instead of being for someone who has six months or less to live, it could be all ages anytime you have a diagnosis. And then, of course, there's hospice who is end-of-life care. So if somebody can remain at home, um, you can bring hospice in and allow them to pass quietly in their own home. So, so Becky, in, in, once again, in full disclosure, um, I've owned nursing homes, assistant independent living um, centers. I now own 
and have owned for the past 30 years, actually, um, Sarah Care Adult Day Health Centers. Uh Um, I love Adult Day Health, love it, Uh Um, and used it with my own mother after her stroke. Um, And I was kind of disappointed that you didn't spend more time talking about Adult Day Health. Well, I think maybe that's because out here where I have a lot of connection to these communities, we don't have that many adult day care centers here. We provide a lot of that type of care in the larger centers or the senior centers. So, you know, I I agree with you that I may not have covered that enough, but I think it is a fabulous resource for people where it is offered to them. Um, especially if you are trying to keep somebody at home with you versus moving them to a large center. So I absolutely am uh, an advocate for them if you have them anywhere near where you live. Yeah, I I really think that the difference is, and usually home health and adult day work together. Mm -hmm. They can make very good partnerships Mm -hmm. um, working together. Um, But it gets the person out of the house, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important. Um, Keeps them oriented, gets them out, keeps them more social. Absolutely. um, Allows them to have the health care they need. So. Um, I really, I really think my Sarah Care Center was responsible for getting my mother to eat again mm-hmm. after her stroke because um, she was with people she became friendly with. They were all eating, and one day she decided she was going to eat. Right, um, it, gave, it gave her a, a, a desire. To be part right. of that, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it made quite a difference. So if someone can no longer be at home? And what would be the determining factors that would say, you know, your family member really should not be at home anymore? Right. Well, number one is, is safety. For instance, if, you, if they aren't living with somebody and you realize they're not safe, you know, they're a fall risk, they're forgetful. But oftentimes, even when they're living with families, I find that the care levels maybe exceed what the family is comfortable with having at home. Maybe both of the the family members work, so nobody's there during the day and they can't afford um, to bring in specialized care to the house. Sometimes it's just a determination that, you know, the lifestyle doesn't fit having an elderly person living with them. For instance, I had a young man who had just gotten married and Grandma had been living with him. Now they were expecting twins, and they just realized it was more than they could do. Um, So there can be all sorts of reasons why you might choose to move someone, and it really is its just what is right for that situation. So let's talk about the options for assisted living, because I think you're right that there's a lot of misunderstanding these days um, about what really is an assisted living and about memory care units. Mm-hmm. Well, you, so, you, we have, um, there's really three types of communities. There's um, independent living that is attached to assisted living, skilled nursing, and maybe memory care. And that's where people can go when they're fully independent, but they realize that maybe down the road they're going to need help. And as that time happens, they're able to just bring the help right to them there. They don't have to move again. 
full-blown assisted living where people are needing help with multiple activities of daily living, Um, but maybe it's one of the large communities where they're in their own apartment and the care is there on site for them, Um, or maybe a private group home, a small setting for them depending on you know, what their condition is, that might be a better setting where they're in a family-like situation. Um, Or memory care where as they start to wander, um, trying to lead the community, maybe starting to develop some behavioral issues that makes it hard for them to be in a larger setting. Um, So there's, there's, there's choices for families out there. And I think most people picture... One, the small private group homes that are that can and used to be very depressing situations. It has changed. There's options for almost every type of care you need these days. Are they all licensed or certified? And, and does that change from state to state? Um, well, there's three types of, of licensing that can happen. Um, and yes, any community that you might be considering, you want to make sure they are licensed with the state. You want to require that documentation so you can look it over. But you also want to make sure that you're looking at a community that is licensed for the right type of care. So somebody who's licensed for supervisory care only, that means that they're there basically to watch over your loved one. It, Your loved one's probably still very highly functioning, doesn't need hands-on care because they cannot provide hands-on care. They can't help you with showering and dressing. They can't do injections if you need it. It is strictly observing this person and maybe reporting back to the family what they see going on. Assisted living is usually licensed under personal or the higher level, but personal care is where they can now start to touch the, the care recipient, if they need help showering, if they can't dress themselves, grooming issues. Um, in some cases, they can hand the medication, you know, medication reminders, hand it to the patient, make sure they take it. But the highest level of care is directed, and that means they're able to provide care through the end of life. They can do all sorts of medical care from diabetes injections to feeding tubes, catheters. Um, it, it can be a high, high level of care. I know that for myself, if I have somebody that I know is going to be declining, um, it's a progression. I don't even consider looking at anything that is less than a directed care level. I want to hopefully avoid having that family have to move their loved one to another care community with a higher level. Your memory care communities need to be directed care so that they can handle somebody through the end of life. We definitely don't want to, you know, bounce somebody with a memory issue around. Um, so those are the, the important things is understand what type of, what the licensing is for that community and to make sure that it matches what your care needs are. So, Becky, we only have a few minutes, and I promised the listeners I was going to get back to your quote, which was, expect the best, but prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. What did you mean I, by that? Well, I think that people should be a little bit proactive in these situations. I think even if you don't think you need an assisted living community right now, why don't you go ahead and do a little research? Understand what's out there. Maybe even go and look at a few and narrow it down. So say, for instance, that your your father 
you know, you know he's starting to have some health care issues. What if he has a massive stroke and he can't go back home to live at home? You can already have identified maybe two or three communities that you like or, or rehab centers or skilled nursing centers. And then when that, that emergency happens, you've already got an idea of how you're going to handle it and what you're going to do. And it can help keeping it from being a full-fledged crisis where you're very dependent and you're very vulnerable on other people because you've done your homework. And you can do that in any situation, whether it's, you know, how are we going to make sure mom and dad get meals? Let's investigate some meals meals programs. How are we going to handle if we want to bring somebody into the house, find out, you know, what home health care agencies are out there, maybe interview a couple of them. So to be prepared, you may never use this information, but it can be an incredible lifesaver if you do have that crisis. It's right there at your fingertips. We've been talking to Becky Fiola. Becky, give us your contact information, please. Um, my email is my name, Becky Fiola, F-E-O-L-A, at gmail.com. My website is assistedlivingadvantage.com. And my phone number, 480-216-1607. Okay, Becky, thank you so much. Thank um, you. It's been very valuable information. Take care. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. How's your husband now that he can't quite take care of himself? Or how's your wife now that getting around isn't as easy as it used to be? You'd know if your spouse was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. A full day of customized activities and their home by dinner and nursing care that's right there with them. How's your spouse? Just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Try it for free. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merrill, and I'm still here. I'm making it through. Um, and now I'm joined by Elizabeth Ibrahim, who is a certified geriatric care manager, although we now call them something else, which I'm going to ask her to share with you in a minute. Um, uh, welcome to Caught Between Generations, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining Thank us again. So, Elizabeth, what do we what do we call certified geriatric care managers now? They have a so new, the new name. Term, yeah, the new term for certified geriatric care managers is aging life care professionals. Okay, part of so the I national have, organization ALCA, A L C A. And and they would find. Tell us what a, an aging life care professional does. Sure. So an aging life care professional is someone who's certified with a strong background in either nursing, social work, or geriatrics. They act as a family navigator in a way um, for families and the elderly and advocate really for quality of life for an individual and for families. So be more specific with me. Give me an example of the kinds of services that you would do, for instance, for a long-distance caregiver. Someone who lives out of town. Sure. So for someone who lives out of town, something that an aging life care professional or certified geriatric care manager might do is accompany their loved ones to the doctor's appointments and give all that information from the doctor back to the long-distance caregiver because oftentimes that information isn't fully given to them by their loved one. We can also do ongoing monitoring and support, so visiting them maybe weekly, or a couple times a week to make sure that everything's okay in their home. They're taking their medications as they're supposed to. They don't need any services put in place. And then, of course, relaying everything that you're finding back to that long-distance caregiver. For example, some things that have came up in the past are if someone is getting, like, a foot of mail each day with all different kinds of scams and things like that, and they're writing checks to these organizations that are scamming them, letting the long-distance caregiver know that this is what's going on so that they can check into it further. Um, just kind of being the eyes and ears on the ground for that person since they can't be there all the time or even, you know, sometimes it's even hard for them to get there once a month or once every other month. So being that person that they can count on and trust to help navigate the healthcare system and advocate for their loved one. So if the family lives in town and they're there or some of them are in town, what are the kinds of services that an aging life care professional would offer then in that situation? Sure. Sometimes it's the same kind of services because even if someone lives in town, they might have a full-time job and small children of their own, so they're still really crunched for time. Um, But some other additional things that we can do is maybe help them choose a different level of care. Maybe they know that something's going on with their parent or loved one, but they just don't know where to turn or where to start. So we can help point them in the right direction as far as maybe they're eligible for some different funding sources. Maybe they are eligible for some veterans' benefits, um, choosing different services in the community that they can take part in, or even moving different levels of care, as well as offering that ongoing monitoring and support as well. I, I think part of the misunderstanding is that the only time you would offer services is if someone is in their home. For instance, would you still offer services to someone who's in an assisted living, for example? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of times aging life care professionals do go into assisted living to offer that psychosocial component to those individuals that live there. So just because someone's moved into assisted living doesn't mean that necessarily they have family nearby or a lot of friends 
they're still maybe going, you know, to their couple of scheduled activities during the day um, if the assisted living offers that, but they still might need more of that one-on-one connection and someone just to kind of go and give them that extra social support, give them that extra attention, and that's where an aging life care professional can come in and help if the family's um, busy or living long distances away or if the individual doesn't even have family around. What about during, how does an aging life care professional help during transition? So I'm in my home, I'm now moving. How do you help me during that transitional period, which is really difficult? Correct. Yeah, it it is a very difficult time in someone's life. So we can help connect them with movers who specialize in senior moves, helping them move from that one level of care to to their new home, whether that be an independent apartment or an assisted living or even a skilled nursing facility, helping them choose, um, you know, what items they're going to take with them, helping to prepare them for what's coming um, and what kinds of things are going to be offered at their new home, and just helping them with that transition of not, not rushing them into the new uh, place where they're going, but helping them to kind of have closure and feel at peace with the situation before moving on to that next level. So um, oftentimes families don't have time for that um, personal, a lot of that personal attention and those long conversations that need to happen before someone transitions. So that's sometimes where an aging life care professional can come in and help. So you mentioned senior move managers. I mean, are they just specialists who, you know, know how to move? I I don't understand that they know how to move seniors. What do they do? What makes them so So special? So what they, what they do is they typically have um, more training how to deal with the elderly and especially those that have maybe an Alzheimer's or dementia. They under, they're familiar with the different senior living communities in that area so that when someone says to them, for example, I'm moving into this assisted living or this independent living, they can go with the person, survey the new apartment or room where they're going to be staying, go back to that individual's house, help them pick out what things they're going to um, be moved there, where the things are going to be placed. They actually orchestrate the move for the individual, set everything up so that when the person walks into that new apartment, they're already having anxiety and, you know, anticipation of moving to a new place. They don't want to have to even think about unpacking boxes like a normal mover would do. They just put your boxes in and leave. The senior move manager actually unpacks everything, puts everything where it needs to go. So when the senior walks in, their, their new home is completely ready for them, um, which takes a lot of burden off of their shoulders and helps them feel more at ease. The senior move manager can also help orchestrate what's left in the home. So oftentimes people can't take everything with them. So maybe they need to set up um, some kind of an estate sale or give some things to the goodwill. Um, They may even need help putting their whole home up for sale. So those are all things that a senior move manager can help orchestrate that kind of goes above and beyond what a typical mover might do. That's really valuable. So what other kind of specialized services are available that we might not be aware of? For seniors? For seniors, yeah. I was kind of thinking uh, like in-home safety assessments, risk assessments. Sure. So I think some things that people aren't aware of oftentimes is that if someone, for example, is in a rehab and they're getting therapy and they're about to go back home, that that rehab or another therapy company in the area will actually go to the home and do a home safety assessment to see what equipment is needed, what things need to be changed in the home in order for the person to come home safely. That's oftentimes a free service that therapy companies will provide. Um, Another thing that can be offered by an occupational therapist that a lot of people aren't aware of is a senior driving assessment. 
So if some if you're unsure if your parent or loved one should still be driving or they maybe express to you that they're having some difficulties, having that referral to that occupational therapist who specializes in senior driving rehabilitation is good because they will do an unbiased assessment and oftentimes the senior will listen to to their recommendations and um, reports more so than a family member or a loved one, which can take a lot of um, burden and uncomfortable conversations off of that son or daughter or family member. Um, also, a lot of veterans aren't aware of all the benefits they can receive through the VA. So there's all different kinds of home and community-based services, such as adult day, aid services, home medical equipment that can be delivered via the VA for veterans who are involved in the healthcare system. Um, there's oftentimes a myth that you have to give up all of your providers in the community and just strictly transition to the VA. And that's not the case. You just have to be seen once a year to stay eligible for the, all those services you can receive, free hearing aids. A lot of veterans aren't aware that they can get free hearing aids through the VA. Um, as far as spouses or widows of veterans, they're not always aware that they can receive some monetary funding through the VA financial system called the aid and attendance benefit that can help them with things like health care expenses, assisted living expenses, and things of that nature. So those are, I think, some top things that I hear often that people aren't aware of. So I want to get back to the driving thing for just a moment. So will the specialist in driving, will they actually make a recommendation to a senior that they should no longer be driving if they think that's really warranted? Yes, they will. They will make that recommendation to the senior that they need to stop driving either immediately or um, need to go take another driving test through the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. And then do they contact the Bureau of Motor Vehicles? I mean, what happens in that process? No, they don't. Actually, the doctor needs to fill out a form and submit that to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles in order for them to legally be able to take their license away. So oftentimes the senior rehabilitation specialist will talk with the individual and their family member there and let them know their recommendations, their strong recommendations, whether they should be driving or not. And then it's kind of up to the family member, or if there's no family member involved, maybe the aging life care professional or the geriatric care manager can step in and kind of take over that role and see it through completion, what needs to happen. Okay, we've been talking to Elizabeth Abraham, who is a certified aging life care professional. When we return, we're going to be talking about the top issues that she sees with family dynamics and also the top three issues that arise between siblings and how aging life care professionals can help us with family conflict. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. How's your husband now that he can't quite take care of himself? Or how's your wife now that getting around isn't as easy as it used to be? You'd know if your spouse was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. A full day of customized activities and their home by dinner. And nursing care that's right there with them. How's your spouse? 
just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Try it for free. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities programmed just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. It's Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merle, and I'm here with Elizabeth Ibrahim, who is a certified aging life care professional. And we've been getting lots of really, really good information um, that I think you're going to find really helpful. Um, Elizabeth, so let's talk about the top three issues that you see as an aging life care professional among siblings, because... As I see families, that's the thing that creates the most angst um, and the most problems in families. So what are the types of issues you see and and how can you impact that? Sure. So the top three issues that I see are um, the demands of caregiving start to bring out old patterns and unresolved tensions among siblings. So maybe there was a sibling who was favored most of their life by mom or dad and one that was maybe not so favored and now that's sibling who wasn't as favored growing up is now the primary caregiver. Um, So the demands of caregiving can really bring out those patterns and unresolved tensions among siblings. Oftentimes, too, there's sibling denial over a parent condition. So maybe a few siblings are on board with what to do and they're, um, you know, agreeing on everything. And then there's the one sibling. Oftentimes, it's the sibling who lives out of town and doesn't see mom or dad on a regular basis that's saying, no, they're perfectly fine. They don't need they don't need this care. They don't need to go to adult day. They don't need to move to an assisted living. Um, they're perfectly fine. So it's all, sometimes there's that one sibling or even, you know, multiple ones that throw the wrench in things. And how the aging life care professional can come in and help that is by having family meetings, um, going over the assessment that we've done, going over the care plan that we've done. And what I do a lot of times when people are in conflict and not agreeing on things is kind of start from the the opposite way. So asking them, what is your goal? What is what is it that you'd like to achieve for mom or dad? What is it you would like to see? And nine times out of ten, they all say the same thing. Well, we want them to be happy and safe and healthy and, and continue to live a full life. So once you kind of start in the reverse order and get them all to agree on what their goal is, then you can kind of work backwards as far as, okay, we all, we're all on the same page. Let's start with that and let's applaud that. We're all agreeing here. Now let's move backwards and see what can we do to achieve those goals. So that's something that we can do um, for siblings. Also, like I kind of touched on a little bit before, too, the caregiving equality. So oftentimes there's the one sibling who's doing the brunt of the caregiving um, while the other ones either live out of town, have um, you know very busy jobs and lives of their own, 
and this caregiver, maybe they don't work, maybe they, you know, don't have small children or, or something of that nature that requires, that allows them to be that full-time caregiver. And so after a while, that caregiving equality kind of comes into play um, and the fairness factor of everything. And that's not fair. I have to do it all. Why aren't you around? Um, and those can create conflicts and tensions, definitely. So, um, did, did, so Go ahead. Go ahead. So, no, no, go ahead. So I, I was just going to say resolving those conflicts, those three things um, can be challenging, but ignoring them can just cause the tension to grow greater and, and become a greater challenge. So um, expressing your feelings, encouraging the siblings to express their feelings honestly and directly. Let You know, I always tell the caregiver who's doing the brunt of the caregiving work, let your siblings know what help is needed and, and what you want them to do. Because oftentimes the other siblings, they feel guilty themselves about not being able to help not being able to be there as often, but they just don't know what to do. Um, so if that caregiver that's doing a lot of the work can tell them, look, this is what I need you to do. I need you to come here every Sunday afternoon for three hours so that I can go to the grocery store. That's just an example. But letting your needs be known. Um, being realistic of your expectations. Allowing your siblings to help in a way that you're able to divide tasks according to individual abilities. So if someone's really good with finances, let them be the financial power of attorney. If someone has some healthcare experience, some healthcare knowledge, let them be the healthcare power of attorney. Um, don't stack it all on everyone and put one person in charge of everything. Expressing appreciation too to your family when they are able to help and for the little things they can provide because people are at different stages in their lives. So someone who is working full time and has very small children is obviously going to have less time to devote to the caregiving than someone who's maybe um, a little bit older and whose kids are all away at college, just for an example. So just recognizing those things and trying to respect each other's time um, and commitment and just knowing that everyone has probably good intentions and they all do want to help. It's just the the availability and their um, abilities to do that. And then, um, go ahead, yes. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. And the last thing that I was just going to say um, is just, you know, to involve that aging life care professional, involve someone, a social worker, a counselor, a religious leader, someone that you can trust as an outside party to kind of bring in and make sure that everyone's voice is heard. Because oftentimes having that neutral party involved can really help calm the tensions and get everyone on the same page. Do you ever see a situation where the adult children are in line and they're in agreement, but the spouse is not in agreement with the adult children? The spouse of the senior? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, often, so, that oftentimes does happen, especially um, the spouse oftentimes feels, you know, if, for example, if the, if the children are recommending that mom or dad move to an assisted living or a nursing home, and the spouse is feeling like, no, I, I married this person for better or worse. It's my job. It's my responsibility to take care of them till the end. Um, maybe they're not seeing the toll that it's taking on their health, um, the toll that it's taking on them, and that they just physically can't do it anymore. So sometimes when that happens, the, the adult children will call in, like I said, a neutral outside source, an aging life care professional, to kind of let that caregiver know you've done, you know, you've done a great job. We're, we're so thankful for everything that you've done up until this point, but now it's time to have a little bit of help. Let's take mom to an adult day a couple days a week. Let's have an aide come in at night and just help you with the bedtime routine and the showering and those kinds of things that really are hard for you. And I think when you kind of 
talk about those things in that sense and also talk about the, the spouse's health and how it's kind of wearing on them. A lot of times maybe that opens their eyes a little bit. And also having the children just say to them, you know, we don't want to lose you also. And sometimes those frank conversations can really be eye-openers. So, Elizabeth, what are some, we don't have a lot of time, but what are some good resources for caregivers to reference online? Sure. So, some good re- resources are AARP. They have an excellent um, caregiving section of their website, as well as a space that you can talk with other caregivers and exchange ideas. Caregiver.org is also a great website, saracare.com, which is where you can find my information, and aginglifecare.org is where you can find an aging life care professional in your area um, just by typing in the zip code. So. so one last question. The thing that throws people more than, well, I shouldn't say more than, in addition to driving is medication compliance um, because it just throws everything out of whack. Well, do you mm-hmm. Give us your last tips for how we handle medication compliance. Sure. So some quick tips for medication compliance are to always have your medication list handy. So, Make sure that mom or dad or your loved one are keeping that medication list updated and in their wallet or their purse to have with them at all times. And also for you, for yourself as the caregiver to have a copy of that as well. Organizing the medications into a pill box or um, there's all different kinds of systems out there right now that pharmacies can provide that make it easier for the senior to take their medication. It divides it up by time of the day or even by the day. Um, the pill box does that as well, but someone has to set that up to help them stay on track with what they're supposed to be taking and how much. Um, And then encouraging your elderly loved one to take his or her medications at the same time each day. Try to help create that routine. Um, And then constantly, you know, having them educated on what medication they're taking, what the purpose of the medication is that they're taking, uh, what it looks like, all those kinds of things, so that they're well aware of their medication routine. Um, Those are just some quick tips for medication compliance in the elderly. Elizabeth, thank you so much. We've been talking to Elizabeth Ibrahim, who is a certified aging life care professional. Elizabeth, that website again is aging life care. What is that website again? Aginglifecare.org. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. Thank All you. Right, this is Dr. Merrill. Remember I, what I always tell you, just do one thing for yourself this week. Even if it's a little thing, take a walk outside for five minutes. Sit down and watch I Love Lucy for 30 minutes and get a little humor in your life. It doesn't really matter. You need to do just one thing for yourself. You're very, very important to a lot of people around you, and you have to take very good care of yourself. So remember, just one thing, and I'm going to do just one thing for myself too. I'm going to go to bed and have a hot toddy. So you too. One thing for yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.